Welcome to the World War I History Podcast, produced by the MacArthur Memorial, a museum and research center dedicated to preserving and presenting the history of General Douglas MacArthur, which includes the story of World War I and that of the millions of men and women who served in that war. The Schlieffen Plan All nations prepare for war and for survival. Self-defense is the most inviolable right of a sovereign state, and even in peacetime, nations prepare for war. In the decades before World War I, all the great powers had secret or hypothetically secret plans to defend against invasion or to make preemptive strikes against their enemies. In Germany, the main war plan was called the Schlieffen Plan. The brainchild of Count Alfred von Schlieffen, chief of the German general staff from 1891 to 1906, the plan anticipated a future war in which Germany would be surrounded by enemies, France and Russia. A two-front war is a nightmare for any nation, and most go out of their way to avoid such a conflict. The Schlieffen plan was designed to enable Germany to fight both nations, but to avoid fighting them simultaneously. Even with this plan, though, Germany would be in a fight for its survival. To understand why Germany would plan for exactly such a nightmare scenario, and to understand why encirclement was Germany's greatest fear, it is important to understand Germany's position in Europe in the pre-war years. As historian Lawrence Lafour points out, when Germany was unified in 1871, Europe took on a completely new character. Germany became a new and more powerful sun that illuminated Europe in a different way and forever changed the political landscape of the continent. Initially, a unified Germany brought stability to Europe. This would not last for long. For various reasons, by the 1880s and 1890s, German dominance was in decline. To arrest this decline, Germany sought to weaken France, a country it regarded as its historic enemy. By isolating it from the rest of the continent, by the turn of the century, however, it was Germany that had been isolated by a Franco-Russian alliance. As its isolation became more apparent, rather than consistently work to lure the two allies away from each other or to find common ground with other nations, Germany became more and more bellicose, alienating even those countries that wished to avoid entangling alliances in favor of neutrality. Great Britain was one of those countries, and the late 19th and early 20th century saw Britain shift closer to Russia and France in response to perceived German aggression. With understandings, official and unofficial, between England, France, and Russia, Germany increasingly felt isolated. It did not help matters that Britain also remained officially committed to an alliance with another German neighbor, Belgium. For the Germans, their isolation seemed inexplicable. But for most Europeans, Germany had become something that needed to be contained, whether due to propaganda, public missteps by Kaiser Wilhelm II, or Germany's aggressive colonial ambitions. It was hard for many Europeans in the cosmopolitan, gilded atmosphere of the Belle Epoque to see Germany as anything other than a nation of hard, predatory, uncultured militarists. Thus, on the eve of World War I, Germany was surrounded, facing Russia to the east and France and Belgium, supported by Britain, to the west. And with the exception of a relatively weak Austria-Hungary and other lesser allies, Germany was friendless. The Schlieffen Plan developed as a military solution to this predicament. 
Count Alfred von Schlieffen, chair of the German general staff, devoted countless hours to this problem. He was convinced that due to its encirclement, Germany must enter into war with every advantage possible. As he began laying the groundwork to provide this future advantage, he worked from several key ideas. The first idea was that a two-front war must be avoided. Another premise that he worked from was that Germany had to force a decisive battle to win the war. The war had to be fast. German forces would have to literally careen into a final battle in which they would overwhelm and annihilate an enemy force. Destruction of enemy armies, not occupation of enemy capitals, would bring victory. And lastly, Schlieffen also believed that the anticipated war would be a war for Germany's survival. Thus, the end would justify the means. The survival of the German state would trump any ethical considerations or international law. Schlieffen came to the conclusion that Germany could not fight against both Russia and France simultaneously. It would therefore be necessary to divide and conquer. But which enemy should Germany conquer first? France, the hated enemy, or Russia with its army of millions? Schlieffen made this decision simple, writing, "The whole of Germany must throw itself upon one enemy, the strongest, most powerful, most dangerous enemy, and that can only be France." France was to be the first target because it could mobilize faster than Russia, and because it was closer. This made it the more dangerous of the two. Taking this threat seriously, Schlieffen allocated six weeks and almost ninety percent of Germany's army to defeat France. Anyone who wondered why six weeks was all the time given to defeat France had merely to look at the anticipated timetable for Russian mobilization. Russia was chosen as the second target because it was thought that Russia would take over six weeks to mobilize, giving Germany time to defeat France and then wheel to face the lumbering Russian armies. Schlieffen also identified Belgium as the best road into France. Anyone who opposed violating Belgium's borders and neutrality was met with Schlieffen's cold logic: military necessity made Belgium's neutrality irrelevant. Schlieffen and other members of the general staff were convinced that Belgium would offer no resistance, and in their minds, there was no guarantee that England would assist its ally. In an ideal scenario, Belgium would open its borders to Germany and allow German troops to march through Belgium to France. If there was any resistance, Schlieffen believed it would be minor and would be overcome quickly. On paper, the math, precise timetables, and the France First strategy of the Schlieffen plan seemed to guarantee victory. But despite the meticulous planning and all of the calculations, the Schlieffen plan really placed all hope for success and German survival on a single decisive battle against France. Personally fascinated by the Carthaginian general Hannibal and his double envelopment of Roman forces at the Battle of Cannae in 216 B.C., Schlieffen sought to adapt the same strategy when fighting the decisive battle that would bring France to her knees. He argued. The enemy's front is not the objective. The essential thing is to crush the enemy's flanks and complete the extermination by an attack upon his rear. On finding that he would not have enough divisions for a double envelopment as Hannibal had done, he instead opted to strengthen the German right wing. This disproportionately large right wing would spread across Belgium, cross the Belgian-French border along its entire width, and then descend into France. 
This great mass would then appear between the French forces lined up at the border with Germany and the capital of Paris. Trapped between these two German forces, French forces would then be annihilated. Robbed of strength to reinforce the massive right wing, Schlieffen's plan left the German left wing relatively weak. He acknowledged that the French would probably attack the German left wing, but even this seemed to fit into his plan. While the French focused their energy on the left, the German right wing would have room to sneak in behind them and secure the victory from behind. Because of his preoccupation with Hannibal, the lure of strengthening the left wing would continue to pull at Schlieffen's imagination. In the back of his mind, he did hope that the left wing could be used in a counterattack to fully bring about a true double envelopment. To do this, however, would require pulling divisions from the right wing to reinforce the weaker left wing. He staunchly resisted this move, arguing that the last German soldier in the right wing had to brush the English Channel with his sleeve. The right wing had to be massive for the initial envelopment to succeed. It had to stretch to the channel so it could sweep up French and potential British expeditionary forces like a broom. Robbing the right wing to reinforce the left would make any envelopment of enemy forces impossible, let alone a double envelopment. Even after Schlieffen retired, he still reminded his successors to avoid the temptation to strengthen the left wing. His mantra by the time he died in 1913 was, it must come to a fight, only make the right wing strong. Schlieffen's successor, General Helmut von Moltke the Younger, would fail to follow this advice. Uncomfortable with the weakness of the left wing, Moltke would weaken the right wing to bolster the strength of the left wing. When the war began in 1914, German forces began to carry out this modified version of the Schlieffen plan. As the German divisions approached Belgium and demanded entry, they were denied. They began to force their way into Belgium on August 4th. For weeks, under the command of King Albert I, Belgian forces held out against superior German numbers. When Belgium did fall, German forces swept into France, encountering French troops and the initial British expeditionary force. German forces pushed these defenders back, but in the First Battle of the Marne in early September, the German advance was halted, and the conflict degenerated into a bloody stalemate. Although generals on each side would be slow to recognize this, the time for a Cannae-style decisive victory was past. It was no longer a war of movement in the West. It was a war of attrition. There would be no quick victory over France, and to the dismay of the Germans, Russia mobilized faster than expected, winning some early victories against German forces in the East. Within the first months of the war, the very nightmare the Schlieffen plan had been designed to avoid had become a reality. For the next several years, Germany would be forced to fight a two-front war. The Schlieffen plan has gone down in history as a failed strategy. Several factors disrupted the potential success of the plan. The modifications made by Moltke, the surprisingly strong resistance of the Belgians, and the determined defense of French and British forces, ending in the stalemate of the Marne, which forever took the initiative away from Germany. Germany would mount other offensives in the war, but none of these would begin with the advantages that Schlieffen believed Germany had to have in order to win. Some criticism blames German arrogance for daring to think that the war would be over quickly. This criticism is mostly superficial. All the major powers expected a quick war, and Germany was no different. 
In reality, Germany came incredibly close to victory within the first weeks of the war. What doomed the Schlieffen Plan in the end was that it gave Germany every advantage but flexibility. A stalemate instead of a decisive victory could mean nothing but defeat for an encircled Germany, because the plan was so dependent on a fixed timetable and a decisive victory. Two things incredibly hard to guarantee or force in the fluid environment of war. The Schlieffen Plan would go on to have another legacy, in the form of the Maginot Line. In the years following World War I, France, determined to never again be overrun by Germany, built a series of static fortifications along its border. These concrete fortifications were impressive, but their weakness was that they could be skirted and were rendered useless if an enemy simply avoided them. In World War II, when Hitler's armies invaded France, they did exactly that. It is said that every war begins with commanders trying to fight the last war, and like the Maginot Line, the Schlieffen Plan has gone down in history as a good try, but ultimately a mistake. In the end, the greatest tragedy of the Schlieffen Plan, and that of all of the war plans of the great powers on the eve of World War I, may be that they gave courage to general staffs and politicians, and made the decision to go to war much easier. The Schlieffen Plan also remains a cautionary tale for military planners. If your survival depends on a precise timetable, it is best to avoid war rather than wake a sleeping giant. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, suggestions, or comments, please contact Amanda Williams at amanda.williams at norfolk.gov.